This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going back into 1 John. So if you have your Bible, you want to open up, we're going to be in the third chapter of 1 John, and it's here that we find ourselves again with a people facing tension, facing concern, facing challenge. Why? Well, it's the end of the first century. A couple things have happened. The temple in Jerusalem is gone. It's been destroyed. Remember Nero? Guess what happened to Rome? (laughs) Oh, come on. You guys know what happens. It burned. This has all happened. So from Christ's resurrection, these are all things that have changed. Imagine Rome, the center of it, has burned. The temple that had set up that we had a sacrificial system ready to go, it's gone. So if you wonder how Christians at the end of the first century are, are wondering, like, is the world, well, we'll just say it, going to hell in a handbasket, they're feeling it because all the power structures are falling to pieces. So they find themselves truly in tension of, Everything we knew that we thought we could trust is gone. Could you imagine living in a world where all the things you thought were sacred disappeared? Where people said things you thought were never possible to say, and they said them every day to you? Could you imagine this? You guys are really good about thinking about the first century. That's great. Man, obviously, I I really got you into the first century. Well, this is actually one of the, the joys of understanding our reality. God's scripture is timeless because the first century feels a lot like the 21st century because we wonder, well, it's not like it used to be. Well, you know what? Maybe you never considered it. Thanks be to God, it's not. Thanks be to God, he wouldn't leave us alone. He would not allow us to be set there. So as we think about life and tension, the question for us this morning is, where's the tension in 1 John chapter 3? Well, John actually in this chapter is going to set us uh, with two different opposing camps. And he's going to ask you this question, where is your allegiance? This is what he does uh, in 1 John 3. Now I want to share with you the first side. This is verse 12. I'm not going to display it. I just want you to hear this. So his first camp that he might say you align to, he says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So this first alignment in verse 12 says, you can align yourself, we'll say, to the world. A world that says, my deeds versus their deeds. Now realize, as John describes it, Cain kills Abel Because he knew his brother did something good, righteous, and he did something bad. So he kills him for it. He's just upset that his brother did something well. His brother does something well, and he's got to kill him for it. I mean, that's what sets him out. So driven, if I can't have it, you can't either. I'm going to have to kill you. It's the great tragedy. You wonder where this would actually happen. There's a news story that came out yesterday uh, about a, a mother and father. I don't know if you, some of you saw this. Uh, sadly, out of Utah. Uh, the story is that the mother thought she had terminal cancer. Uh, so she took her life. Her husband took their life. But prior to killing themselves, they killed both of their children. Because they said, we're going to go out on our own terms. Cain said, 
you're going to live on my terms, Abel, and I'm not happy with who you are. See, the world drives us in different places to lose all hope. Cain lost all hope. He had nothing left. So he says, boy, if you don't like my gift, then no one gets it, and you can't have the one whose gift you like. I'm going to remove it. So that's the one camp. The second camp is 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we have this worldly desire that Cain said, it's all about making sure I rise to the top or aligning to how God would have us depict or what we might call the life of the church this morning, a church that lays itself down for others. The complete antithesis of everything that was Cain. I mean, they're a complete... So where does your allegiance lie? Now, if I ask you that right now, all of you are like, with the church! Like, that's easy. Like, that's easy, pastor. I'm not going to go killing my brother just because he, you know, he gives a different sacrifice than me. But it's never that easy, is it? It's never as clean as just Cain and Abel or black and white. It always has some nuance. How many of you have lived life? Anyone lived life? All your decisions have been very easy, right? All real easy decisions. You just know whether to turn left or to turn right. You've never had a day where you wondered, hmm, what do I do? How do I approach this crossroad? See, the difficult conversation for us as a church isn't here about do I choose Cain or Abel. It's what happens when we realize that this sacrificial love that God has given to us, that asks us to give of others, is faced with real people, with real problems, and real challenges. Do we help them or do we not? See, I can tell you many beautiful stories about our congregation. I can tell you about the work and support that we have given uh, to children in a group home in the Dominican Republic that are now cared for by the church. I can share with you work we've done with the homeless in downtown Raleigh. I can talk about visitations that we have made, caring for families and funerals, uh, delivering flowers, Christmas caroling to shut-ins, caring for people in nursing homes, uh, making prayer shawls, and all these places that talk about very real individual people. But imagine for a minute... And I want you to really answer this in your heart of hearts right now. If I were to tell you right now that I need you from 12 o'clock until 4 o'clock this afternoon, and each of you need to give $100, and we need to go help a specific person, and all four of those hours are now claimed by God, would you do it? And don't I don't want it out loud. What I want you to actually consider is, on some level, you had plans. And you had plans for that $100. (laughs) You had plans for your time. You had plans for the afternoon. Uh, And you might, you might say, I'll give you this one time, Pastor. You get to do it once. But boy, it's real hard when it becomes a real specific person because when it becomes specific people, at specific times, we have very specific excuses for why, well, not that person. For God so loved the world. I just love then we don't fill in the blank because it gets awkward if we actually finish that sentence because then we start excluding people. Uh, I want to share with you an author writing on 1 John. I found it so stunning uh, what he did here. I I don't know if it'll hit you the way it hit me. Uh, The author's name is J.P. Lewis. He writes in a commentary on 1 John. He said, It's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity, a capital H, than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. 
Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. How often has we in the church talked about God so loved the world, but when it comes to an individual that we might have to care for, we say, not now, Lord, and not that person. Or, I loved them yesterday. They got my Saturday. They don't get my Sunday afternoon. They got my Thursday evening. They will not take my Monday night. We love all of humanity, but we just don't love particulars when we start actually naming the person in the place with that attitude. You have all probably come across some person in your life who has required more than you think that they deserve. Have you decided where the fill point is when you're done giving? Or are you willing to lay down sacrificially again and again and again for that person? So what do we do? Do we align to the world? Because at first it seemed pretty simple that we'd never align to Cain, a world that would say, oh, it's all about me. But when we start naming real people and stealing away our time and our money from things we'd already set up, Cain starts to sound, well, we just won't say Cain, because then you'll know that it's bad. Uh, We'll just say, I have previous arrangements. We all have our polite ways of telling someone no, right? Uh, I am unavailable at that time. Uh, If you would please offer me with some more advanced notice. Thing about crises is what? We normally don't get, you don't get a lot of notice on them. So whose crisis do you respond to? Immediate family? Close family? Next door neighbor? Person across the street? How many doors away does it take that you don't help? I mean, where is the line? Where does it set? Or are we a church that says we will always find ourselves set there to see this? Um, As we look and see 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? So you've got the image here in verse 17. So if you actually see that need and you have what you can wear to help that person, but you do nothing, John actually says, I don't think God's love's abiding in you. Now, some of you may not like the next statement that comes out of my mouth. Did you know this is a church of means? I mean, very, very serious means. You may not feel that way. We are financially overflowing and you don't even know it because you are convinced that you don't have enough. How many of you ate this morning? Now, a couple of you are like, how many of you didn't eat, but you could have eaten? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, a couple of people you're looking over, you're like, I didn't know that the Thompson family didn't have food. Okay, so you, you don't have to have that conversation with them afterwards. You have so much. But we get so busy comparing to the person down the street. Apex, North Carolina is not a poor town. Like, we all know that, right? Did you hear how reluctantly we say that stuff? Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I, I don't have as much as you know. You've seen the new houses, right, Pastor? Woo! I mean, those, yeah. I don't have one of those, yeah. Because we don't want to believe that we may actually have things God may ask of us. Because if he's asking of us, we may actually have to relinquish something. And whether it's your time, whether it's your dollars and cents, whether it's your emotions, whether it's just releasing that tension that has you going, I can't help that person again. They are so... You can fill in the blank how you feel about them. But I also know how God feels about them. But see, verse 17 starts to let us know that 
Cain's pull of the world that we're so caught up in ourselves, we can get sucked into it a lot more quickly than we realize. See, on the surface, it seems like Cain's so distant from us. We'd never do that. But we might just say, not today. Not right now. Not at this hour. Verse 15 takes us a little bit further and says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, some of you are like, murder, good, not there. But a couple of you are actually echoing now Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus lays out very clearly that murder is not just a matter of taking a knife or a bullet or some medicine or some other to take someone's life. It is actually to hurt them and maim them even in your thoughts. If you have thought that, you have killed them. If you've killed them in their heart, you have already committed that sin. You've already done so. And anyone who hates his brother, boy, And a whole lot more people just got pushed over to Cain as we realize how quickly we find ourselves swept into there. See, John's writing this because he goes, this is a serious problem. It's not some light, easy thing that we can just push aside and say, well, I never killed my brother. And if I did, at least his name wasn't Abel. So I kind of get off of that hook because it was really just Cain and Abel. So I'm different. See, we always want to differentiate from the person that we consider bad. Just enough that God will look at us differently because we're still a little bit brighter than the person who's really, really tarnished. We may be tarnished, but we're not that tarnished. Well, God's love is unique in that it actually asks us to see our lives differently, that we have been loved in a way that God asks so much of us, but that it would flow because of how much He has given to us. So the question that we're asked as we look to see this is consider Jesus speaking in Luke 12. He talks to the people there. He says, of those who have been given much, much will be required. Brothers and sisters, if we've been given a lot because we live in Cary or Apex or this area and we have so much, God may actually ask more of us. So how is it then that this church would grow in its love of Christ? How is it that this church would grow in expanding Christian education? How would we touch more children? How would we reach out more to our community? And God says to you and to me, he says, it's, it's you. It's your hands. It's your feet. It's not someone else's. It starts with you. Because God has given and equipped and trained you to be his people. That your faith might actually come to life in ways you could not have imagined. See, we focus so much on Cain, focus so much more on what the church is when the church is alive. The church is invincible that is with Christ, completely invincible. I had shared uh, a few times before, I was traveling at one point and saw an artist. I would go to this festival, and the the artist had a sign, and it said, the man with faith is invincible. I was so excited. I had a friend perfectly in mind. I wanted him to hang that in his house. I said, man, I just wanted to be there. So I go the next Saturday, I go there, and I see the same person. I said, I'm looking for this sign. He goes, I sold all of them. He goes, but I have one that's close. I said, no, you don't get it. I said, that's the only thing that resonates. The man with faith is invincible. When God makes us alive, there is nothing that can hold us back. See, there's no person that can actually tip you so low that Christ can't bring you off if Christ is truly alive in you. No one. 
There is no depth that you could go to that Christ can't pick you back up. If you've never experienced that full level of Christ's love, then you need to feel that today as the Lord speaks through his word to you. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The Lord says, let's start putting it into action. Talk truthfully is very, very, very cheap these days. Can you imagine, like, if you were right now to pull out your phone, you could write a few words and you could post it for the entire world. Do you realize that? Literally, the entire world. Someone who is awake on the other side of the globe could, in fact, see what you have pressed in moments. You remember, like, airmail, slowly getting there. That package will arrive in, like, 14 months. Somebody like, what? No, like, yeah. It's crazy how long stuff used to take. And now we're just pressing buttons. Little children, let us not love in word and, or talk, but in deed and truth. John's saying we have to put this stuff in action because God actually armed you to do stuff. God didn't just equip his church and send his spirit so his church could be idle. God sent his spirit to the church so the church may actually engage with the world. And the world includes who? The brothers and sisters sitting right next to you, right next to you where you are at this day and at this hour. Now, for some of us, this creates some tension. It creates some stress. John goes on. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, Interesting that John says that, is it not? John suggests our hearts condemning us. That we would feel so low. I didn't do enough. I didn't give enough. I wasn't there. I didn't help my neighbor. Why is it that they're helping me as I'm going through a health crisis? Why are they helping me when I'm underemployed? Why is it that I'm receiving these gifts? I didn't, you know what, Lord, I'm not worthy of it. The verse continues, God is greater than our heart. You catch that? Your heart doesn't know God entirely. God is bigger than your heart. So if your heart's condemning you and convicting you, you need to understand God's bigger than that. That thing that makes you feel all guilty and gets you all stirred up, that conscience that makes you feel, God's bigger than that. God is greater than it, and he knows everything. You serve a limitless God. But too often we do what? We just say, well, he can't fix this, or he wasn't there for me enough at that time. We're beaten down when the truth is our God is the maker of heaven and earth. That's the God you worship. That's the one we sing to. That's the one who says you're forgiven. The maker of heaven and earth speaks to you. Jesus' blood covers our rebellious spirits. And it frees us from the cries of the world that actually invites us each and every day, just save, your, save yourself. Just carve out your little piece. Make sure your island's all right. Then maybe go help someone else's island, but just make sure yours is okay. See, it's a snare, it's a trap, it's a lie that the world sets for us to get us to think that we're isolated. The church does its best work when it actually walks together. When the church realizes that we are not limitless alone, but together we can do infinitely more. When we realize that it's okay to actually call someone in this congregation when you need help. Do you know how hard it is for this congregation to call to ask for help? As a person who sometimes in some ways sits in a front seat of seeing that, I think you'd be amazed how often we are not willing to seek help. Help that I know this congregation would gladly and freely give. 
a drive to a doctor's appointment, picking someone up to come to worship, a meal. I just would have liked a card. I would have liked to visit, but they never told us they were in the hospital. They never told us they were aching. And I'm not saying I'm keeping it from you. I never knew because we were so convinced that we were an island unto ourselves. And ready? Here's the worst of all that I think Satan has accused us of. I didn't want to... You guys know it? Yeah, I didn't want to bother you. God put all of you here so that, you know what? I'm sorry, we can be bothered. See, we've joined in this congregation, this community, so we can bother each other. But guess what? It's not bothering. It just isn't. It's loving. It's loving and reflecting God who changed it and said, I set down my life so that we might set down our lives as well. The joy that's experienced when you actually are able to help someone else, man, as I get older, it's so true. It is better to what? Give than to receive. It just is, which is why I've realized it's so hard for some people to actually say they need help because they have spent their entire life in the church giving. It's hard for people in the church who have been givers their entire lives and given so much, and they reach a point where now they have to receive some love, and unfortunately, in the one point they actually need it, they align themselves as crazy as this is back to the world and they don't even realize that they think they're helping when they're actually shutting out the very people of God that God put around them to be the resource and the care that they need. Verse 21 and 22, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, because remember our heart was what? Our heart was, it was condemning us, but if it doesn't, and remember there he is again using that beloved term, you are loved. You are beloved. Love is something that is given to you in Christ. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Why? Because God overcomes the challenges that your heart pushes at you. You have confidence. And whatever we ask or receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. See, we have confidence before the Lord. Can you imagine like, what that looks like? To be confident before the Lord. I mean, that kind of gets you up in your, up in your saddle. It gets you ready to move. I'm confident before the Lord. A lot of us come before the Lord and we're kind of hesitant. We lean back because we don't, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous. I want to be humble. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being excited for the Lord to actually lean into it a little and say, Lord, I know you've, you've got this. I'm actually going to smile. Now I know for those of you who don't smile, at least find like, you know, that, that perfect middle ground that isn't a frown. So, you know, some of you just aren't smilers. I'm cool with that. But at least don't frown. You know, come with neutral. But neutral is exciting because it realizes that we're not hurting. We're not aching because God has something greater for us. And this is his commandment. So it says we now follow his commandments. This is his commandment. Here's the one that John gives to us, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he loved us. Remember when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, oh, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what John's doing here. As he writes to that church in the end of the first century, he's reminding them, this is the commandment. Believe. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love one another. All John's doing is telling us the same thing because as humans, we need to hear it again and again and again. Love the Lord your God, and as you love the Lord... A love for the Lord will be reflected in a love for others. It will be reflected in a love for those who are around us. John concludes then with verse 24 this morning. 
He says these words to us, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God. Remember we talked about the one who murdered. God's love's not abiding in them. John doesn't leave you out there with these like hanging chads of, oh, what do I do? I still kind of feel left out, pastor, because I, I feel like I've said some things or thought some things about someone else in my family, a neighbor, and I'm feeling like God's love's not abiding in me, so I'm kind of left. Well, John wraps all that up for us in 24. He says, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. We, a chosen people of God, have our faith made alive because the Spirit is indwelling in you right now. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in this place. Your faith is alive and the Spirit is abiding with you. The world has no claim to you who have the Spirit abiding you. None. Do not give the world power it does not deserve. Too often the church of Christ is giving the world power as if somehow it's beaten you down. It hasn't beaten you down. It's trying to make you think that the church has lost. Though the church doesn't have as much power as it used to in the 1950s. Stop crying. Who made Christ weaker in the last 70 years? I know, but we had more influence. Who needed influence? The church did just fine when Rome was in power. We don't need political influence. We just need Christ and Him crucified. We, the church, need to recognize the Spirit will do invincibly more than you could ever imagine. And He does it every day. Just look at yourself in the mirror this afternoon and realize God loves you. Some of you are thinking that in your mind. You're going, man, that's pretty cool. Because I know me. (laughs) And He loves me? Wow. Like I'm His child? You mean I have eternity today because the cross of Christ impacts me? You mean I have nothing to fear? Little children, we are beloved of the Lord. There is no fear. All fear is gone. Christ has risen. Hallelujah. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.